0: Welcome to Jesuitical, a podcast by the merrily young, frostily hip, and prayerfully lay editors of America Media. That lay part means we aren't Jesuits, but we work with them. Join us each week for a smart Catholic take on faith, culture, and the news, often over drinks. I'm Ashley McKinless, and I'm joined by Olga Segura.
1: Hey, guys.
0: And Zach Davis.
1: Isn't it a little
2: early for the cr-
0: Christmas adverbs?
1: What? No. Never. It's after the. I'm just kidding. I already have a
2: reputation around here. <laughs>
1: why do you hate Christmas I'm just so much, kidding. In fact, why is... why? <laughs> I thought Ashley was going to break out into song when she said merrily me. I know,
2: same. Yeah, no, I'm pretty excited. Uh, I've already got the tree this? up in my apartment. Do you? Yep. Oh, I still so, need to
1: get mine. Yep. Yeah. Very good. Do and you have I'm a still- tree? I do. And it has lights, no ornaments, but I'm I'm already in love with it. If you want me
0: to cut out some paper snowflakes for you...
1: Are you trying to say I can't do it? No, you're right. I can't. Remember how bad that was when I tried it. But yes, please. Thank you. Yes.
0: So never too early for Christmas cheer. Zach, what are we drinking? So pretty exciting this week. We are drinking uh,
2: something that was brought by one of our patrons. He also happens to be my fiance's father. <laughs> uh, and so he he, and uh, Amanda's- Your mom
0: helped too. <laughs> yes.
2: My, so my mom, Amanda's mom and dad helped organize this. Uh, it's called Holy Water is the name of the drink. Kay. And it's got uh, some peach schnapps, uh, vodka, crystal light lemonade, um, this blue curacao. I never know how to say that. Curacao? Yeah. Mm. <laughs> yes, Um But it's really tasty. It's so pretty. Yeah, very pretty. Not the color of holy water that you find in church. So I've yeah. yet to divinize why it's called that. But anyway, so thank you to uh, Joe and Terry Roden and Amy Durbin. And cheers, everybody. Cheers.
1: cheers. Who are we talking
0: to this week, Olga?
1: Today, our guest is Juan Carlos Cruz, who grew up in Chile. And for years, he has been advocating for victims of clergy sex abuse. And since he came forward with his story, he's empowered many, many other survivors to share their own stories.
2: In the 1980s, Juan Carlos was sexually abused by Fernando Caradima, a Chilean Catholic priest. And in 2009, uh, Juan Carlos, along with two other survivors, filed formal complaints with their archdiocese. And they initially received no response from the church and in other other instances were called liars and yeah. accused of.
0: And the Vatican finally investigated the affair um, and Father Karadima was found guilty of abusing uh, children in 2011. Um, but the anger kind of resurfaced uh, ahead of Pope Francis's trip to Chile in early 2018.
2: Yeah, in a Chilean bishop there, uh, Bishop Barros, was accused by survivors of participating in a cover-up of Karadima's abuse, and Pope Francis defended the bishop and said that the survivors didn't have enough evidence. Um, he later apologized to those survivors, including Juan Carlos, and has since appointed Archbishop Secluna to lead an investigation into the abuse and cover-up in the Chilean church.
1: Yes, and at the end of this investigation, 34 Chilean bishops offered their resignation to Pope Francis, and he has accepted seven of those. So that's
0: a really big deal, and Juan Carlos Cruz was pivotal in that. Yes. Um, In church
2: terms, this happened very quickly, mm -hmm, right? mm -hmm. I mean, we're talking this happened, uh, well, I mean, maybe not from the time that Juan Carlos has brought his claims to the Pope, but between the Pope's gaffe and seven bishops having their resignations accepted was just a matter of months.
0: Yeah, so... Juan Carlos um, has an incredible story, uh, an amazing faith, and we are very excited to share our conversation with him with you. But first, Signs of the Times, the part of our show where we sift through the Catholic news so you don't have to. What's our first story, Olga?
1: So in honor of the United Nations International Day for the Elimination of Violence Against Women, last week, the International Union of Superiors General, which represents over 500,000 sisters worldwide, released a statement denouncing the culture of silence and secrecy surrounding the sexual abuse crisis in the church and is urging sisters who have been abused to report their crimes to their superiors and to police officers.
2: Yeah, and this is the first letter released by the global organization since the abuse scandal erupted again this year.
0: Yeah, and this is kind of like the Me Too movement coming to the church, which is kind of a big deal I well, think.
2: Yeah, and especially for sisters there is this huge culture that the Vatican has known about for a while of um, feeling like they can't report to anyone other than, you know, maybe someone in their community or their superior but feeling like they're going to be blamed for yeah. the and abuse. And there's just of, such
0: a power imbalance between priests and sisters that has existed for centuries really. And hopefully,
2: you know, this statement works its way down through throughout the church and empowers sisters to come forward with their with their stories. What's our next story, Ashley?
0: So in a previous episode, we talked about how the U.S. bishops had postponed a vote on protocols for dealing with sexual abuse at the behest of the Vatican because the Vatican is having its own global summit um, on the protection of minors um, this February. Uh, and this past week, they announced a high-powered steering committee, the people who are kind of gonna guide what's going on at this meeting.
2: So the members of this committee include the United States Blaise Supich of Chicago, Oswald Gracias, the Archbishop of Mumbai, and the President of the Catholic Bishops Conference of India uh, as we mentioned Archbishop Charles Sucluna earlier, uh, and Father Hans Zollner, who's a German Jesuit and president of the Center for Child Protection.
0: These are people who have a reputation um, for dealing with sex abuse. Um, Hans Zollner, uh, earlier this year in an interview with America, said that, quote, we still need to know what will be the concrete measure of punishment for a bishop who has covered up abuses. So, you know, this is someone who is open to the idea of holding bishops accountable.
1: Right. And we, we don't know if lay people are going to attend this meeting next year, but we're really glad to hear that lay involvement is something that people are considering.
2: Yeah. And Hanselner is, because Hanselner has also mentioned, he supports like this, a mixed commission of people, right? Like priests, brothers, lay people all working together to f- solve this.
1: What's our next story, Ashley? Uh,
0: for the first time in almost 40 years, the U.S. bishops have released a pastoral letter on racism. Uh, it's called Open Wide Our Hearts, The Enduring Call to Love. Um, so the last time they uh, released a pastoral letter was in 1979. So this was a long time coming and some people might say a little too slow in coming. Uh, what, what's in the letter, Olga.
1: The letter was approved earlier this month on November 14th, and it came out of the Ad Hoc Committee Against Racism, which was formed last year by the bishops to tackle racism in America and come up with solutions to help Catholics in the fight toward racial justice. Um, And it covers a lot of issues like police brutality, the water crisis in Flint, Michigan. um, And it also includes a lot of practical steps Catholics can take in order to get involved in this fight.
2: And Olga, I know you've been covering uh, race in the Catholic Church long before this committee was even formed, so I was wondering what what were you, some of your reactions to this letter?
1: Initially, I was really encouraged that you know, Ashley mentioned it's been almost forty years since they wrote any kind of letter on and on racism. Which um, and
2: they had had letters before that, but for some reason they, they yeah there were forty years that had correct. passed. Individual bishops
1: have written on race, but this is the first that the collective body of bishops have released something. Um, and initially, I was really encouraged. I, I was. Excited that they com- created this committee last year, that they released the letter this year. Um, but honestly, I was really disappointed by the actual letter once I read it. Um, I think they could have gone farther. I think they could have been much more explicit in some- something as easy as calling out white Catholics to be better, you know, and making a distinction between prejudice and racism. You know, they, it's presented as this, racism is defined as this thing that all people are capable of. And it doesn't really acknowledge the dynamics that go into this, you know? Right,
2: there are, there are certain groups that are, being racist toward other exactly. groups, right? And you're so you're saying there was a lack of sort of identifying, a call on white Catholics to take up the charge to battle racism. Yeah,
1: I really wanted them to be extremely explicit. One, I wanted them to be explicit about who is being racist and to call out politicians. You know, it's 2018. We see what a lot of political leaders are saying, and they make no direct reference of that. Um, also, I, re- I, I think it's important to, you know, talk about movements that are involved that are fighting for racial justice. And they kind of did none of that, you know?
0: Yeah, that was kind of what struck me is that, you know, the impetus for for this letter was the um, white nationalist uh, rally in Charlottesville, Virginia last summer. Um, And one thing that was pretty noticeable at that rally, is among the counter-protesters, there was not really a visible Catholic presence. So after that happened, the church's response was to create a committee on racial justice and then put out a document. And it's, I kind of wish that this was, you know, the the document was coming out of lived experience of priests, you know, talking to people in Black Lives Matter or, you know, being on the front lines of protests against racism instead of like a you know, something they're studying.
1: <laughs> right. It, it was like they make mention. They talk about Martin Luther King Jr. They talk about the civil rights movement, but they don't talk about any activists in 2018, you know. Um, and As that, if
2: there were none to look to.
1: Exactly. And and it's just it, it just shows this complete disconnect between what's happening and what the bishops are writing about. And
2: in a failure to understand that, like prejudice is this, this atti- is an attitude, right, mm-hmm. that an individual can have. But racism is, is systemic and structural and sort of, Lack And that's, you know, that is an a moral analysis that we have available to us in the Catholic tradition, right, to analyze sins structurally and systemically. And it's unfortunate that it wasn't maybe used to its full force in this letter. But also, I think another thing that came out of that was that bishops' letters aren't normally headline-making Catholic news, but, like, even the Catholic... News covering the bishops' meeting was sort of subsumed by their failure to act on sex abuse, and not to bring everything back to sex abuse, but it just goes to show that their like moral uh, authority and their ability to promulgate other teachings are hampered by the way they've handled sex abuse in the United States.
0: That's a very good point, Zach. Um, but you know in the spirit of paying attention to what the bishops do have to say what what kind of uh like practical advice do they have for bringing this this document down to the parish level
1: i think one thing that they hope comes out of this they they've They're offering people resources, and they want pastors to talk to parishioners about this, and they want people to incorporate it into their classrooms and into discussions you might have in your home um, with fellow Catholics. And I think it's a great starting point, but I'm not as hopeful as I would have liked to be. I I still think that they need to do more. I think that if the bishops want Catholics and the faithful of color to think that they— are serious about this, then I think they really need to meet people out on the grounds and the people who are on the front lines, all of these activists. And I think that's what I want to see from the bishops going forward. Yeah. And if you are interested in more of
0: Olga's thoughts on this issue, uh, she's been reporting on uh, race relations in the Catholic church and has a article coming out at the end of this week that we will post to the Facebook page. So look out for that.
1: Joining us on Skype today is Juan Carlos Cruz. For years, he has been a public critic of the church in Chile and the church's handling of sexual abuse by clergy. Earlier this year, he met with Pope Francis at the Vatican for an extended one-on-one meeting about the sex abuse crisis. Welcome to Jesuitical, Juan Carlos.
3: Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm I'm so honored that you called. I I love what you all of you do so thank you
1: thank you we're so honored that you're joining us um so first question for decades the clergy sex abuse was hidden by the church in chile and this changed once you along with james hamilton and jose andres murillo decided to come forward with the sexual abuse you all experienced as teenagers at the hands of uh, caradima Uh, why was it important for you to tell your story
3: Well, you know, I moved to the United States sort of running away from this whole thing and started my life here. And, um, you know, I thought I'd build my castle here and I wouldn't have to worry about it, you know, because I thought, I could never, nobody could ever beat that man and his abuse. He was a very powerful um, priest in Chile. So I thought I'd build my castle here and never talk about it again and live with it. And, you know, one becomes very good at compartmentalizing. And so it lives somewhere. It comes out occasionally and then it goes back in. And so I thought I could live like that, um, good or bad. I just did. And um, suddenly Jimmy Hamilton called me and said, we have to stop this. I know what happened to you. And I assume you know what happened to me. And um, I said, no, I don't know. You know, those things that one plays, those mind games that are so difficult. And But eventually, um, eight years ago, um, we decided we have to move forward. We have to speak up because this man continues the abuse. So, So it was right for us to do it.
0: And what was what was the reaction from from the church in Chile when you decided to tell your story?
3: Well, obviously it was we're lying, they're lying. They don't they don't say the truth. They don't tell the truth. They. Um, um this is i mean this is a holy man it couldn't be um we tried quietly first to go to the church and have them deal with it but they wouldn't do anything i mean they tell us they do things but nothing happened so after almost a year we decided to go public because it was the only way of doing it despite the embarrassment so we did it and the reaction was liars and then the cardinal said about all of us different things, about me, he said that, you know, it's hard for him to think that I was a victim, Cardinal Erazuri said this, because I'm gay and I might have liked it, so it couldn't be that I was a victim. So it was just embarrassment after embarrassment uh, published in different media because they're very powerful and had complete domain of of the media. So it was really difficult for us.
2: And even Pope Francis sort of, like, you 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 said that you were angry with him for the way he responded to comments about uh, one of the bishops who was accused of covering up uh, Karadima's abuse. Uh, yes. What was it? Uh, can you describe feeling that anger towards someone like the Pope?
3: Yeah. Oh my gosh, it's it's it's. Um, you know, I'm Catholic and I I'm still Catholic, and my friends have decided that they don't want to be Catholic, and you can't blame anybody for for deciding whatever they want after what they've gone through. Um, But despite, you know, the cardinals wanting me out, the bishops um, saying things about me and feeling absolutely unwelcome um, in a church that I love and a God that I love, I said to myself, you can't let them win. You know, I always get a bit choked up with, with, with this because I feel it's it's so important and and there's been times that i wanted to kick the church in the butt right and 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 send them go to hell you know like leave me alone or telling myself like how can you still believe and how can you still but there's this intimate force that that you know makes me feel attached to what i believe and it's been faith that in my case and being single for all my life almost you know it's it's it it's made me feel that I can live, that I can move on, that I can take a next step. So, um, to your question of what, it, it, was it hard? Yes, obviously it was very hard as a as a human, as a person like me to say I hate the Pope or I can't stand the Pope and I I'm so angry at the Pope. It was very hard, very very hard and. Um, it was hard to reconcile my myself with having those bad feelings, too. And Juan
1: Carlos, he he ap- has apologized to you. Was that something you expected? And, and what was that like to have the Pope ask for your forgiveness?
3: Well, first of all, I never in my life thought that I would be in the position that I am. You know, I never thought I'd even shake the Pope's hand in any way, but... um you know when he called us liars in January, when he went to Chile and because of you know the the what you were saying before about this bishop that we were saying had covered up and he actually did and and all that, um he called us liars and he said, you know uh, that we were saying calumny and and that we were liars and we had to bring evidence, et cetera. so after that, I was even angrier with the Pope just yeah. in January, understandably so um It it was really hard. It was it was hard and it was, you know, but when I met him after the events that happened after until I met him in May, um, you know, it was a slow reconciliation with him uh, because he did admit that this not only apologized for what he did to us, but that he had been um, lied to by others, that that he had. Not listen to the right people. Um, and he's been, he's being consequent with what he has told me. But at the same time, I feel, uh, you know, some of my dignity back. But at the same time, uh, when I met with him, I told him, I cannot be the exception. I have to be the norm. Not that every survivor has to come and see you and greet you. And I'm honored that you do that with me. But, but, Um, that everybody needs justice, like I am getting some justice. So that was, for me, that was very important.
2: And even listen to, that everyone, you know, survivors all need to be listened to should be the norm.
3: Absolutely. 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 I mean, everybody should have the justice that I'm getting. Everybody. And And I still don't have justice, right? And God knows if anybody will ever have justice. But at the same time, I feel it's important that other survivors believe and and know that someone will hear them and that someone and the church has to change that paradigm uh, that 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 way of thinking that you know the survivors are enemies of the church and want to destroy the church quite the opposite there's a lot of people that have been destroyed by the church and and others that have been wronged in the worst way by the church. And yet they still um, want to move forward and, and call themselves Catholics. And, you know, uh, but I believe that everybody needs to, like you say, be listened to, respected, um, cared for and believed. And and that's really important.
0: I I have to say, I'm just like in awe of your perseverance in the faith. And like, I think, I don't know the fact that your your persistence led the pope to really change his mind. Like we've seen, the church like issue official apologies and apologize for the church, but like Pope Francis apologized to you and said he was wrong, um, and that just seems so powerful to me. Um,
3: it, yeah, it and is. something it is.
0: that other church leaders need need to do,
3: <laughs> and 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 do it uh, sincerely, you know, because. Yeah. The Chilean bishops, for example, have issued, gosh, I can't even count how many pardons and sorry for the and it's just so um incredibly false. And you can tell that it's one of those apologies that politicians do when they have to, to earn votes. Yeah. And it's just it's just pathetic. Um, but in, in the Pope, um, I saw sincerity. Now, um, there's a lot he has to do still, right? Um, it's not like just by talking to me, and which I'm extremely grateful and um, have an immense gratitude for that. But I still understand that um, you know there's thousands of victims uh, around the world, men, women, some that have died. I have friends that have committed suicide because they were abused, mm. and you know it, I can't help but choke up when I think of that and. Yes, I'm getting justice, and I'm being uh, asked for forgiveness from the Pope himself. But it, it's not that easy. It's not that easy. Uh, i And not saying that for the Pope it was easy, but um, people need, like we were saying before, to be listened to, respected, heard, believed, and 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 held, you know, in mm-hmm. in in high regard in in the faith. If you're Catholic, I don't know just so important so there's much to do but i think the fact that you know the church is different to one country right the church is universal it's global so what happens here then you see it there and you see it having a snowball effect everywhere and now i don't think anybody can stop this snowball from getting bigger and bigger
2: so it sounds like you're hopeful about where things are heading
3: so it's a difficult combination for me because I'm um, grateful for so many things and that have been done. I recognize that I would want them to be done yesterday, right? But, sure. um, because we've waited so much, so long, and there's people that have not been even hurt. There's people that don't even dare to tell their story. There's people that have died in the worst misery with this uh, horror eating them up inside. So, gosh... Um, Justice for everybody, I would want it for sure, but I recognize that it's a slow process. I know that it's a good beginning, but um, I'm in a wait-and-see mode as well because um, I am not going to be in peace if this is done just for me. Um, It has to be done. And I told the Pope, straightforward like it is, I'm here, me, physically in front of you. But I'm bringing every single man and woman survivor that has been abused um, right now, living and deceased, um, and uh, and they need justice as well. And I have to be the norm. I can't be the exception.
0: So you've said that to Pope Francis. What's your relationship like with him now? And are you being consulted um, for this big meeting on sex abuse in February?
3: no no i'm not being consulted um i don't know um i'm still in a way in touch with him and i really i'm very honest with him still and as long as you know he allows me to be i will be and i'll speak my mind and you know the first 10 minutes of the first three hours that i spoke with him i was like oh my gosh i'm in front of the pope what can you (laughs) believe i was like very intimidated and and wow i was like scared i don't know it's a weird feeling but then after 10 minutes of talking to him uh it just made me feel like that i could speak my mind and something told me just just be honest with him
2: and it sounds like he's honest with you too i mean
0: yeah in your your meeting in may you you talked about sexual abuse but he also um talked about you being a gay man and what what that meant as a Catholic. Um, You've said that he said that um, the Pope loves you this way. God made you like this. He loves you. So what was it like to hear that from the Pope?
3: Well, that's another choke up um, theme. And, you know, uh, it was because in my case, it was so relevant because of what I told you before. They had painted this image of this perverse Horrible church destroying human being called Juan Carlos Cruz, and who was on top of it gay and was a pervert. And, you know, and look, I told him, Holy Father, I am not the reincarnation of St. Louis Gonzaga, right? The saint of purity. But I have to tell you, I try to be a good human being. And, you know, and that's when he said to me, Juan Carlos, God made you gay, God loves you, and you have to love yourself. And, you know, I, I made it public when they asked me because it was relevant in my case, and I never realized that it would help so many other people who maybe had nothing to do with abuse, but at the same time were gay, who who felt, you know, like so disrespected and hurt by church teaching that, you know, discriminates Um, and, you know, in the synod, there were these cardinals and archbishops and bishops saying, oh, we can't use the world LGBT. What? You know, I mean, it's just like, yes, we exist and we were made by God. You have to deal with it. And so that's how I feel.
1: So Juan Carlos before we go into our last question we just want to thank you so much for the work that you're doing for the church and for as Ashley mentioned earlier your perseverance and for sharing your story with us and, and for trusting us for with being it being
2: so authentic thank you mm-hmm. so so much yeah. we didn't i no, mean I,
3: I i don't do it to be flattered or being you know people say you're a hero I, i'm not i'm just doing what i have to do because i've seen so much pain myself i've seen so much pain because you are abused and that can be avoided and and because you are gay, you didn't choose to be gay Um, and God loves you and God made you that way. Um, So every man and woman, every boy and girl that listens to this has to understand that there's a caring side of of humanity, of, of the Catholic Church. There's men like like Jim, um, like Jim, you know, your, your, your director, your editor there, James Martin. Yeah. 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 yeah, Jim Martin. Um, he is one of the most caring and amazing and fantastic priests I've ever come across. And, um, you know, that encourages me so much to be a better person uh, with people that, have been really angels that have appeared in my life at some point, um, I've managed to survive. And that's what I hope for everybody, a youth, gay, um, whatever you are, um, that you consider yourself that yeah. um, you know, there's people that come and, and pick you up at the best, best moment. Speaking,
0: right. speaking of angels, we have
1: <laughs> one last
0: question mm-hmm. for you.
1: Um, if you could canonize anyone, living or dead, Catholic or not Catholic, who would it be and why?
3: so there's so many people it's hard for me to name them like you know it's weird but a person who has been an angel to me has been my lawyer Juan Pablo Hermosilla this man that when nobody believed us he was there to pick the three of us up he hasn't charged us one dime because he's a very successful lawyer we wouldn't have been able to pay him but you know he does it because he believes in humanity and he believes in human rights and he believes in so he's been an amazing angel to me, my brothers, friends at work. I mean, I it's it's incredible what God um puts in front of you all the time.
0: What what did you say that your lawyer's name was?
3: Juan Pablo Hermosilla. Okay. <laughs> all right.
0: Well, I can't wait to share this conversation with our with our listeners. Really, thank
2: you thank so much. You,
3: Juan Carlos. No, I appreciate what you're doing and thank you very much. And I hope your listeners um, know that, you know, everybody's loved and no matter what you are, you're wonderful. That's mm-hmm. what you have to think about yourself. Mm-hmm. Amen. Thank you. Amen.
0: Get some rest.
3: <laughs> thank you. Bye-bye. <laughs> bye. Bye. Bye-bye. 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 Carlos. Bye. Bye. bye bye
0: All right, now it's time for some housekeeping. We have one thing this week, and it's a very important thing. There is a new show from American Media.
2: Yes, it's called Faith and Focus with Father James Martin. And so you may have seen, we've been trying to hype it up a little bit, but it's sort of like this uh, talk show where uh, Father Martin will go through some Catholic news, but also interview uh, sort of like a maybe well known. And some not so well-known Catholic guests.
0: But the most recent uh, guest was, pretty, I would say, pretty well-known, uh, Stephen Colbert. Yes,
2: I know. Uh, people always <laughs> want to know when we're going to get Stephen Colbert. We're yeah. still waiting. But <laughs> if you want to hear what he has to say about his faith, he has this really great interview with uh, Father Martin on this month's episode of Faith in Focus. So you should definitely go watch it.
0: Yeah, you can find it at americamagazine.org slash faithshow. And we will put it in our
2: show notes. And I actually answered an email this week where someone asked where the show notes are which she thought sounded like a dumb question, but it is not at all. And yeah. so uh, it depends on if you're if you're using your podcast app, it'll be sort of in the see more. There's this like this notes section. Yeah, or we're also posting it every week on our website and you can sort of find a listing of those at americamagazine.org slash sections slash Jesuitical.
0: We also post it on Twitter and our Facebook group. So. Yes,
2: and so if you find find it in any of those ways, you'll get to our show notes.
0: All right. Now it's time for Consolations and Desolations, the part of our show where we talk about where we found God this week and where it was harder to find God. What do you have, Olga?
1: So I've got a consolation this week. I'm actually really excited to share this with you guys because I feel like you have been a part of this journey with me. Um, So I got the official Johnson family invite to Thanksgiving. um, And I went in and I was very cynical. I thought,
2: Johnson being Enoch's family Oh,
1: yeah, right, my bad Enoch being your fiancé My (laughs) fiancé, that person Uh, But I went in really cynical I thought, you know I've been waiting for such a long time It's not even worth it Um, But they were so They were so welcoming Um, And it was just wonderful To be in that space um, With his family Eating, praying And the consolation was that Them inviting me allowed me to open up that door that for so long I was unwilling to even be positive about it. Um, and it was just really consoling that I was able to spend time with them, um, which I've been praying about and complaining to you guys for quite some time now.
2: That's for quite some
1: time now. So it it was really wonderful. Uh, that's so good to hear. Yeah. Yeah,
0: Thanksgiving, magical holiday bring people together yeah. over food
1: what do you what do you
2: have Ashley
0: uh I have a desolation I should I take back what I said <laughs> Thanksgiving can be awful <laughs> uh no so I have a desolation uh so I I actually I went into Thanksgiving with a kind of like heavy heart I don't know I was just feeling sad about some things um and instead of uh you know talking to my, fam- my family's not very good about talking about like heart emotions. Um, so I really just, I wanted my mom to like ask me what was wrong and ask me how I was doing. And when she didn't, I became resentful at her for not reading my mind. <laughs> um, and so like on top of me feeling sad then I was feeling angry with my mom, you know, I wanted her to show love the way I wanted her to show love. And she was showing me love by like, making me food and wanting to do crossword puzzles, which is great, but I just couldn't accept it because I was just, like, waiting for her to just, like, have the conversation I wanted to have in that moment, um, which is, like, a problem I have all the time. And so I I kind of got stuck in that unhelpful cycle. <laughs>
2: mm. Yeah, that's relatable, though, I think. Yeah. Yeah. No. Wanting I was talking people to, to read your mind.
0: Yeah, Yeah. no, I, I, Eric was, I, when I was talking to our Jesuit, uh, spiritual director, Father Eric, he was like, is this something that, like, comes up a lot? And I was like, oh, yeah, like, I remember in elementary school, my parents would, like, ask me what I wanted for, like, birthday presents and I wouldn't want to tell them because I wanted them to know Mm -hmm. what I wanted because I just wanted to be known and loved and I didn't want to have to tell them what it is. So, I'm working on it. (laughs) (laughs) I think so. What do you got, Zach?
2: Uh, This week I also have a desolation and this sort of stems around, uh, there's this, like, Uh, medical, some serious medical issues happening with a really close relative. Um, And the thing that my response to that in prayer is sort of what I've found desolating and that I feel like I want to ask God, you know, for God to heal this person. or But then I don't because I think that's, you know, me turning God into a genie, right? Like I'm not supposed to, that's a childish prayer. Like you shouldn't, that's not how you're supposed to relate to God. And so then I just don't end up, connecting with God at all. And you know, we're supposed to <laughs> that's a classic evil spirit move, right? To tell you that the way you want to talk to God is not the right way. And it's okay to be like a child and maybe that's not even a childish way to pray. Um
0: In fact, you're supposed to be like a child. I, yeah,
2: exactly. <laughs> exactly. And then but to let that sort of you know, stop me from doing that is the thing that uh I found really hard. Yeah. Um so working through that, I'm trying to actually. I'm thinking about uh, the saints. This is sort of exactly what they're for in some ways, yeah. right? I I don't mind turning them into genies, <laughs> and for some reason in my imagination, you know, asking them to ask God for things. Um, so that's what I'm working on this week. But it's that's been my desolation. That's been heavy on my heart. Yeah. Well,
0: as someone who has struggled with prayers of all kinds, I can definitely relate to that feeling. Um, so hope. Hope a good saint comes and intervenes on your behalf Me too. Thank you. (laughs) All right. Jesuitical is brought to you by America Media and produced by Eloise Blondio. Our editor is Noah Levinson. Adverbs provided by Jackie Bush. Jesuit Formation provided by Eric Sundrup SJ. Engineering by Kieran Freeman. You can follow us on Twitter at Jesuitical Show. Please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your favorite podcasts and leave us a review. Shout out this week to Maggie Stew, Steve D. Griffin, The Good Samaritan, and Emily A. Williams. And finally, you can send us your questions, feedback, cocktail recipes, and tell us where you found God this week at Jesuitical at americamedia.org. For America Media, I'm Ashley McKinless with Olga Segura and Zach Davis. We will see you next week.